Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Bonjour and konnichiwa. This is Drive-by Cinema, Season 4, Episode 30. This is my co-host Paul. Arigato, Richard-san. And I'm Rick. Recording from a hotel today, so I'm sorry for my microphone quality if it's worse. Uh, lifestyles of the rich and jet setting, hey? Y- you've not been travelling anywhere, Paul? Like I have been travelling, as you well know. I've been, I've been escaping to the uh, Upper Dales Mountains, should we say, of uh, the Lake District, Richard. I bet it was rainy. There were storms yesterday here, anyway. It was indeed, and I attempted the tallest mountain in the UK, Scaphill Scarfell Pike. Which I failed to climb. Nearly died, yeah. <laughs> it's a straight track up and down. There is a perilous river crossing, or as they said, I said, oh, follow the river. He said, no, follow the beck. The beck. <laughs> the visitor centre, the beck. So there is a perilous beck crossing, as it, as it was, not just encumbered and shrouded with mist, but also pelting it down. That beck was, I mean, pe- I, people were slipping and breaking legs, and but I, I, I just started to get my feet wet and go through the bit that was paved, so, so yeah. Crikey. That was not the reason I failed. They failed because I just couldn't carry on about halfway up. Well, it's more adventurous than I've been. I've been staying at home mostly. That's the best way to live, isn't it? I mean, why do we build homes to escape them? You should be happy in your home. Well said. Well said. And the best way to do that is to get one of those deep Japanese soak tubs. Have you seen the ones at Sumo Wrestler City? Like, they're deep, but not big. So you can sort of stand up in them, but they're, you know... Right. Chest height in water. Okay. And just, yeah, wow, just to sit in that all afternoon would be glorious, wouldn't it? But what happens if you drop the soap? This is it. You don't wash yourself in a Japanese bath. Right. Ever. Oh. You you bathe yourself, Richard. Is this an onsen? Is this what we're talking about? No, I mean, in your on your home, you shower, you wash scrupulously with the flannel and with the brushy bits. And yeah. then you have a bath. You hose yourself off. Then you kind of pickle yourself in 45 degree centigrade water for about two hours yeah. well that makes sense to me because I always thought uh, the thing about baths is I don't really want to sit lying in your own in, detritus in yeah. my own dirty water yeah my bum water <laughs> and then and then scoop that bum water and wash yourself with it yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. or as we might see later in this film that we're watching later today sharing it with a younger sibling and sharing their bum water too <laughs> but I think we used to try and swim in it too what do you mean? We must have been quite small. Well, we used to pretend that we were swimming from one end to the bath to the other. Ah, there lay your your future, didn't it? As a young, it as a young boy, as a failed yeah. competitive swimmer. Yeah. No, no, I, I became well. I think one. I mean, my parents didn't really take that much interest in my in my kind of my passions outside of outside of school. Okay, I desperately wanted to become a table tennis star and a karate star, and I was refused entry to both of those sports clubs by my parents. Right. So the reason I went swimming is because my sister went swimming and therefore it's convenient to have me tag along. And they wouldn't yeah. let you into the karate dojo? My parents wouldn't let me do karate. No. Oh, why? Because they thought it was Buddhist and exotic or something? No, I think they thought I'd become dangerous and unhinged. Well, yeah, you would have to be registered as a deadly weapon, wouldn't you? <laughs> is that actually true? I no. don't know. No, no, it isn't, is it? And then, of course, I realised why they wanted both me and my sister to go to the swimming club at the same time. We finished swimming training early once and came back through the back garden and found them going at it in the back room. Oh, wow, that's a formative doing experience. A late, doing a knee wobbler, actually. They're, they're at it doing a knee wobbler. It was like, ah, that's why they want rid of us for two hours every evening. Right. And you and your sister both experienced Well, we that. sheepishly had to walk past them. Right. Right. 
So I'll open the gate to the back giddle and then like pretend that we just knocked on the front door and like nothing had ever. We'd never see, you know, like our, our eyes had never seen what we saw. Hmm. But I think it's got repercussions. Uh, just re- watching this movie reminded me of all that. Bathing with your sibling and seeing things that your sibling does or your parents do that you shouldn't really be seeing. Do you know what I mean? This movie does allude to that. Yes. So, Paul, after this music. After this music coming out, you're right now. All right, then, Paul, how do you pronounce the name of the director? The auteur. <laughs> auteur. Written, part written by and definitely directed by. Now, I was intrigued. I mean, is Gasper actually the French for Casper or not? I doubt it is. Gaspar. Gaspar. I think it is Argentinian, isn't it? Or, or Spanish. Nonetheless, I think it is, irredoubtably, it's going to be Gaspar Noé. We've seen one of his films before in Drive By we Cinema. We have. We saw Climax. And it was a trip. It was a trip, wasn't it? Climax, Climax, the story of the dance troupe rehearsing in a sort in of acid bath, <laughs> a community hall somewhere. Yes, it was quite an amazing film. Uh, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Kind of full frontal with its with its effects and its kind of presentation, wasn't it? Like oh yes, whew. yeah. So something you maybe had to take a deep breath in, deep breath towards several times during 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 watching. Okay, and that's one of these later movies. Is that right? I think that was newer than this one. I think yes, newer than this yeah, one. Yeah. So he had a big success, maybe seven years before what we're about to watch. We haven't named it yet, and that gave him the finance to finance the movie. What we're, which what we're about to talk about. And I've known that I wanted to see it for a while, but it's not been all that easy to see this film. No. For reasons which I think become sort of apparent. <laughs> right, okay. I mean, there are lots of reasons why. Maybe you wouldn't want everybody watching this movie if you, <laughs> if you had elderly people with mild Alzheimer's to take care of or <laughs> adolescents on the cusp of discovering you know, the realities of life. Perhaps this wouldn't be the movie for them to be watching, would it? And this movie is... Enter the Void... Enter the void. Now, can I just give a shout out to the theatrical release poster, which is, I mean, it's of its era, 2009. Okay. Do you remember the band Justice? Yes. And the band MGMT Management, MGMT. I do, yes. They kind of had a a visual vibe that was both retro and psychedelic at the same time. Would you agree? Certainly Justice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about MGMT. Gasper takes that, marries it with Jeff Jeff Minter, and exponentiates the offspring to the power of 100, doesn't he? I mean, the theatrical release policy is just so trippy, as as we're about to discuss is the rest of the movie. Yeah. Well, also, the opening titles are very trippy, aren't they? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I couldn't watch them. But we discussed it before, you know, like, is epilepsy really caused by... <laughs> photosensitivity. By, by photosensitivity. I mean, this would be the opening title to test that, wouldn't it? When this film was first released, it went to festivals first, and I think it went in a not totally finished form. It did, you're right, yes, I've read about that, yeah. When it was first shown in the festivals, it didn't have the credits at the start, because at the start it does show us the names of cast, doesn't it? No credits at the end, by the way. No credits at the end, yes, that's right. But I think in the original showing, it just had the opening caption of Enter, and then at the very, very, very end, it just has the caption The Void. There was no other text displayed during the entire showing. So I have to say, the, the intro sequence is exceptionally jarring, but ultimately very impressive. And I, I wasn't quite 
in the mood. I didn't quite have the bandwidth to handle it. So I kind of <laughs> thought, right, I'm just going to skip it and watch it after I've watched the movie, which is what I did. And it was very impressive. Apparently, it's something like the kind of intense, almost telegraph wire buzzy kind of experience people get when they come down off heroin. When they're, when they're about to go cold turkey, when, when their senses just impinge upon them and everything just becomes so kind of jarring and bright and high contrast. Yeah. So it's an incredible kind of opening sequence. And like Opart, Opart from the 60s, just very jarring and you can't ignore it. But I wouldn't say a pleasant experience to sit through if, you, if you've got the mildest of headaches as I had. One of the things about this film is how much easier it probably is to watch on a TV screen or in your case on a phone or a laptop or your smartwatch or something in the back of a bus, whatever you do it. Imagine having to sit through this in the cinema. It would have been a challenging experience, right? And we haven't okay. even got into the main film yet, have we? No. This entire film is taken in first-person view. Incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Now, about 10 years before this, 1997-ish, mm-hmm. a very famous pop video shocked the world with the basically the same kind of technique. Gaspar Noé has cited it as an, an influence. 1997? Yeah. Oh! Sig Sig by the Spice Girls. <laughs> No, no, I'm no, not. Paul, no. Oh, darn! Who is it then? It's the prodigy Smack My Bitch Up. Right, and how did it differ from Zig Zig R by the Spice Girls? The Spice Girls, they just follow them around in a continuous shot, don't they? As they enter the, whatever it is, the music hall restaurant and throw the papers up and jump on the piano and that kind of thing. I suppose that's right. Spice Girls is one take. But although it is, you could say it's first person, but you're not really, we have no sense of... You don't see who the person is, yeah. We have no sense of who the character is. Correct. You're just a camera in one take, really. At no point does it turn it around and confirm that it's being held by somebody. Exactly. Whereas Smack My Bitch Up, the Prodigy song, that was made by a famous Scandinavian director. It's the story of a night out, which is obviously a strong influence on this film, where you see someone getting ready, they're preloading, they're doing drugs, you see them taking drugs throughout the evening, they go to nightclubs... They get very messy. They do abusive things to women. Uh, they go to a strip club. They spray champagne on a stripper's tits, that kind of thing. They take a stripper home with them. They fuck a stripper. And at the very end, to everyone's shock, 1997 this is, remember, you look in the mirror as the stripper is leaving, and it's a woman doing all these Larry kind of lads night out type things. Ah. It's a, a music video that begs to be watched. Well worth watching it if you don't remember it, Paul. Do you, do you remember it? I used to watch them on like what the, some MTV variant. I never, you never got the full thing, did you? You, you could try so, it now, I think, but you'll probably have to. Yeah, YouTube these days, you get the whole thing, won't you? Not on YouTube. It's quite difficult to see on YouTube. You want to look on Vimeo. 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 Try it. Have a go. Go and we'll watch it together. Talking about music videos that span a night out pre, post, and mid. How about The Weekend by Flowered Up? Do you remember that? That was, that was a classic video. Nine minutes long, I think. Very filmic. So the thing about Smack My Bitch Up is Prodigy realised that even with the name and lyrics Smack My Bitch Up, it was never Mm -hmm. going to be getting radio time. Even the lyrics of the song are too controversial. I think they realised that they could do a very controversial video without really impacting their exposure, perhaps improving it even. Mm -hmm. And consequently, you ended up with a pretty controversial and extreme video to go with what was already a fairly controversial song but a really excellently produced piece of work. It, it, it's very striking dramatic. I don't know, we, we've come out of saying uh, last week's movie, what was it? Uh, Not Arnold's was misogynistic. But at the same time, I mean, whatever 
Whatever the prodigy wanted to do with that statement about smack your bitch up. I mean, these days we'd see it as being an irresponsible use of language, wouldn't we? In interviews, I mean, the perspective in the, the perspective in the video and in the in the in the, the lyrics themselves, there's nothing condemnatory is there about what's being said there. I mean, obviously, it's not meant as an invocation for people to go smack their bitch up, is it? No, in fact, they say that the lyrics are not even about that. Mm. They're not literally about violence against women. So a touch irresponsible. Yeah. But yeah, but the video is about violence against women. Although it is a woman. I, I, I don't know. It's complex. That scenario is very rare, so why focus on that irony? Not to take away from the artistic creativity that went into it. Look, search for Vimeo, smack my bitch up. Do I have to sign up for it? No, I've not seen this one. Fight in, dancing, down the strip club, drunk driving, in bed with somebody... They got a spider tattoo from one of their successful albums, isn't it? Fat of the Land, one of their big ones, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Like, this was so. a banger, let's face it. So, yeah. So, that is viewable still. As you said, Enter the Void, the movie we're about to talk about, maybe not so easily viewable, but it's come back on tap, hasn't it, recently? I think we've explained that this is first-person mode. At the start, uh-huh. you know that it's first-person mode because you actually see the person blinking Yes. at the beginning. A bit distracting, but it's used, actually, as a, an important thing that we'll come to late, later. The, the fact is, though, as a person, as a human being, you don't notice your own blinks, do you? You don't. Your brain edits them out. Your brain also edits out the fact that your pupils are always moving. I think it's called stockades or staccades, isn't it? I didn't know that. Well, they're always scanning, aren't they? Because you can only see high def, if you like, in the centre of your vision, in the fovea, and your eye consequently moves around all the time you sort of synthesize a higher res image of the whole picture than you could really do with your eye. All of that movement is edited by your brain. It kind of shuts out that movement. Newton famously, I think, helped to prove something about the psychophysics of this. This sounds horrific. He used to put knitting needles in his eyes. I don't know why, because you could just do it with your finger. But then he, he would wobble his eyeball... And he would observe that if you wobble your eye externally, you see the movement, you experience like a visual earthquake. But your eye eye is moving all the time and it doesn't see the movements. You you can test this by looking at... Sticking your finger in your eye? Oh, no thanks. (laughs) No, we can do better these days. You can look in a mirror and look yourself squarely in the eye at your pupils. And you'll mm-hmm. see them rock steady, right? It looks like your eyes are completely steady looking straight at you. Mm. But if you video, close-up video of your eyeballs, you'll actually see that your eyes are moving all the time. Wow. The world that we see that we perceive is not the same. It's not like a camera view of our eyes. It's edited and synthesized in crazy ways. And of course, we, we've got a blind spot. We don't perceive normally, do we? That's obviously constantly being filled in. So the start of this film, first person, we're watching on the balcony of a Tokyo apartment at night. Very atmospheric. We don't know his name until about 20 minutes in, but it turns out to be Oscar. Is Oscar, okay? yeah. It's Oscar. He's looking at a woman who turns out to be his sister. We'll find his yes. Linda. They watch a plane that flies overhead in the night sky. Very atmospheric, as you say. It's kind of skanky and a little bit sort of down at heel, but also quite glamorous at the same time, isn't it? The way they're living. Yeah, they're living quite a... Bohemian kind of... Young person's bohemian life, yeah. About sort of suitcase, out of suitcase life. And like Victoria, quite a lot of this movie, especially at the start, is filmed in one single take here. Mm-hmm. We're going to live it minute by minute. 
without a cut or without an obvious cut. I'm sure there are cuts, unlike Victoria, which was all done in one take. One of them doesn't like being on the balcony. Which one is it? Is it Linda? She's oh, going to fall into the void. She's know. talking. Of, she does mention that the idea of falling off the balcony and dying, doesn't she? Linda's like, get your life together, Oscar. And, but she's like talking like she's on smack anyway. So She's warning Oscar about his best friend, Alex. Who, Alex, yeah. She's saying that he's going to turn you into a junkie, Oscar. Well, the truth is, yeah. really, he already is a junkie. And she seems to be half junkie by the way she's slurring her words. Maybe she's just drunk. Anyway, Alex has lent Oscar the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Have you read the Tibetan Book of the Dead, Paul? No. No. Oh. Do you know what's in it? No. Well, Alex explains it later. We can go through it. Don't worry. I'll catch you up. William Burroughs has read it. He mentions it in his novels several times. So I, by proxy, yes, I have read it, Rich. <laughs> you know someone who wrote about someone who's read it. <laughs> Oscar takes a drug. Wasn't sure what it was. Later, we, I think we learn it DMT. might be DMT. I thought it was crack to start with, but I don't think so. But he's taking it in a pipe, isn't he? He's, he's puffing it, isn't he? He's puffing it in a pipe and he's... Hoofing it on down. It must be DMT, because straight away... Because, as you say, we're, we're like in real time, aren't we? Within within minutes or seconds, we get the trip down. He doesn't seem to be enjoying the hit. He's also telling himself over and over, Linda's word directly. You're not meant to enjoy DMT. Oh, it's like an experience. You're meant to grow from it, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Linda had told him, obviously, you're going to be a junkie. He's now repeating like a mantra in his head. I'm not a junkie, I'm not a junkie. I found this so real, the way you talk to yourself about things, about reassuring yes. yourself when you're in denial. There are some accomplishments in this movie, okay? Maybe the technical accomplishments we'll talk about. But yes, that stream of consciousness, I guess you might call it roughly, was really accurate in terms of how people talk to themselves, yeah? And it's proof that people who talk out loud in the same way are not crazy. Now, he passes out, and our experience from his first-person view is that he closes his eyes, and he sees the lights that you see when you close your eyes. Phosphines, I think, is the word for those lights you see when you close your eyes. I don't see those anymore, Richard. Oh, like they've turned off for you. The beautiful bright lights, you mean? What happens if you close your eyes and you push your eyelid? Do you not see them? Well, I just get little dots of light, maybe, but I don't get this... I, mean, I don't think it was... I think it's a bit more than phosphines, isn't it? Obviously, his are being chemically enhanced, aren't they, by his mm-hmm. pharmaceutical situation. M- maybe, Paul, you should try shoving a knitting needle in your eye. Um, <laughs> People have suggested it to me. No, I, d- I don't recommend that. So, so we experience these amazing, like, yeah. colourful mandalas and stuff in it. In Not just that, kind of mandalas tentacling out into various kind of, like, space sea creatures. Based apparently on the drawings of the biologist Ernst Haeckel. Another of the influences that Gaspar Noé has suggested is 2001, the end sequence in 2001 with all the side scan ah. photography. And the visuals in this film at times are absolutely amazing, breathtaking. Wow. Imagine sitting in a cinema and, and watching some of these. And they're not hurried. He, he lavishes a lot of time on, on some of these displays, doesn't he? They happen more than once. So it's an incredible start to the movie. I mean, this is visually arresting, okay? But, like, we'll put anybody off taking DMT, I think, because, as you say, it's just too intense and so otherworldly and a little bit scary, which is why Oscar's talking himself down from it. And he actually has an out-of-the-body experience. For the first time, one of the few times, we actually see Oscar because he comes out of himself and looks down on himself, lying. He's a good-looking lad, isn't he? Could be a model, you think, in Japan, but obviously not. He's wasting his life as a junkie. 
<laughs> the room spins in a sickening way. Then after a few minutes, he's sort of roused out of his... So it must be DMT. He knows. I mean, he's kind of wobbly. He throws some water on his face, doesn't he? And says, that's better. But he kind of throws it all over his body, doesn't he? Instead of his, his, his face. So he's obviously not quite right. But his flip phone rings. He's got a flip phone. And he answers it. It's some English guy, clearly English from the accent, called Victor, I think we learn. He's telling him to bring his stuff to where he is, which is a club or bar called The Void. The Void. Now, just before that, we've, wor- uh, we've worked out where he's got the stuff from, we're told. Bruno, his contact, who will meet later two or three times in the movie, has given him this shit. Tastes like shit, he says it's coming up. The DMT. We learn that Victor has given him the money to get this, so he's like being a go-between, isn't he, effectively? And that's when we get the impressive light show and the Jeff Minter effects. So yeah, you say Victor calls and says, bring some stuff over, I'm at the void. Now, I don't think he's bringing over DMT, as he's bringing some other stuff over, isn't he? Or who knows? I don't know. He's, he's got a little bottle full Clever. of pills and stuff. Quite a lot. No, it's a coke can with the with the rim cut Uh, off so he can seal it back up again. uh, Very clever. Yeah. At this juncture, does Alex come knocking on the door? Alex, his best mate, arrives. We get to meet Alex. Alex is a bearded guy, bohemian. We we learn he later he's an artist. Classic, classic long haired bearded European. He's French, isn't he? I think. Think he's French. He's French. Yes. How could he not be? Alex comes over and says, "Have you read the Book of the Dead yet?" That's right. He lent him the Book of the Dead, didn't he? Alex is very keen on Oscar's sister, Linda, isn't he? He's talking Except about... Except he's a bit jealous because Oscar's sister, Linda, is with Mario, whoever Mario is. I think he's telling him that he's got to go to the void to take this stuff to Victor. Alex says, hey, I'll come over with you. Yeah, but... Why can't Victor come and pick the stuff up? And then Oscar says, somewhat mysteriously, oh, Victor won't come over here after what happened with his mum. his mother, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> As they walk over to this club, The Void... I like this scene. This is a great sequence, by the way. And I I mentioned that a few weeks ago... I mentioned that, for some reason, YouTube started sending me recommendations to watch these people walking around nightlife streets kind of YouTube videos. For some reason, I've been watching a lot of videos that look almost exactly like this, (laughs) where you walk through the streets with someone with a GoPro on their chest, and you just watch all the nightlife and stuff. It's kind of weird because at the same time you you're not part of the, what these people's nights out, but there's kind of a glow of expectation building around just walking around the place, and so it's empty and full at the same time. Very evocative. But during this time, Alex decides to dispense some homespun wisdom, doesn't he? Here's an important thing because Alex is going to talk about the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Mm-hmm. He's also going to tell you exactly what this what happened in this movie. Yes, it's he, this bit of exposition lays out clearly exactly what happens. Yeah. He says, when you die, you can see everything, everything in the world like it was through a magic mirror. And he talks about all these lights, and you get sort of lost in these lights that you'll be attracted to. You won't want to leave. You'll love it there. You'll love the being in the light. But Mm -hmm. eventually, you will be pulled out of the light. You'll be reincarnated. And this is the Buddhist idea, the endless reincarnation. Yeah, he spun some things on it, didn't he? He said the yellow lights will be all your friends having sex. Which <laughs> I'm fairly sure it isn't in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, but nonetheless, interesting. And then you choose the yellow glow of the having sex that you like the most, and you become the sperm and the egg of whatever they're doing, kind of thing. Which is interesting spin, but nonetheless. Meanwhile, he dispenses some wisdom. I think at the end of that exposition of the Tibetan Book of the Dead and what's going to happen in the movie, he says, why don't you be a dealer? Stop taking so many drugs. No, he doesn't say uh, that. He says... Don't be a oh. dealer. He tells him to be a DJ. 
says you can be a, a DJ, DJ. Yes. Don't be a dealer. Be a DJ. Stop the psychedelics. Stop screwing old women. And you've got to try this new drug. Having told him not to try any drugs, called Dachera. What's it? Dachera. Dachera. Dachera or something like that. Some kind of mushroom. Which I've never heard of. It takes oh. you away on a trip. He says. Maybe conflicting advice from Alex there, but he's European, so what do we expect? Well, they arrive at this bar. It just says the void on it. It's a very sort of corner building, isn't it? Like it's a proper dive, a, a isn't flat it? Flat iron kind of building. Almost. It's not just a dive. It's a cool dive. Alex is going to wait outside. He doesn't want to go in there. doesn't like this place, apparently. Oscar goes up the stairs to where there's an upstairs bar. And it's a very dark with loads of neon stuff in it. The, the whole place is sort of glowy neon. As he goes in, you can see a white guy sitting at one of the tables. And he's already saying sorry. Saying sorry as, yeah. as Oscar walks up to him. So this obviously is Victor, isn't it? This is Victor, yeah. Now, do you know who it's played by? Oscar Alexander? Is that his name? Ollie Alexander, Alexander. who's a a pop star these days. But a very young Ollie Alexander. I mean, basically, he's he's playing the age rare, I know, in movies. But uh, I think these people weren't necessarily recruited for their acting talents, more for their looks and their vibe. He was only 16 or 17 at the time. And he's playing this this kid who's saying sorry. He's just a kid, isn't he? He is, yeah. Why is he 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 apologising, Paul? That's the question. He's double-crossed. He's double-crossed our... Honourable Oscar, hasn't he? I have to say, Oscar, although he's a junkie, he's the kind of decent junkie that won't rat on a friend, will he? Or shouldn't do, unless he's really desperate. Well, we hear that the cops have just shown up, right? And it's quick, isn't it? They all kind of rush in. Oscar's very quick to the toilet, and he winds up locking himself in this little cubicle with a squat toilet in it. Filthy. This is very train spotting, this bit, isn't it? Mm. Now, they ain't getting in there because he's locked it, he's bolted it, and they're banging. They're not going to get there any, any, any time sooner. But he panics, doesn't he? And he's desperately opening the baggie of drugs and trying to. <laughs> the toilet's waiting to refill before it will flush. So he's getting his hands in this squat toilet and scooping them all down. And it's, all, it's oh, shit dude. covered, this squat toilet. It's horrible, isn't it? So he knows he's done for. So he says, I've got a gun in order to them, for them to go away. The silence, yeah? i.e. they stop banging the door. Little does he know that they're reforming outside to shoot through the door and shoot him. Suddenly there's a gunshot, and we look down. Again, it's all first person, remember? We look down, and he's holding his hand to his chest, and there's blood on his hand that we look down. Mm, the bullets come right through him and popped out the front of his tummy. He says, I, it's a good line, I, think, I hope this isn't real. <laughs> it potentially could still be tripping, couldn't it? So. Then he's saying to himself, you know, I've been shot, I've been shot. He collapses down onto this filthy toilet cubicle floor. Again, we have another out-of-the-body experience, and we sort of come away from him, rise up into the ceiling. And, and so we get the, the exposition of Tibetan Book of the Dead now begins in earnest, in real, in real life, yeah? From here on in, the vision doesn't blink anymore. We're now a spirit, uh, you oh. know, lidless eyes are watching we see his body in a fetal position crouched over this shitty toilet and we see in due course this is all very train spottery as well wasn't it very much so yeah I've got to say the technical accomplishment for me was like when they when they're doing all this presumably cranes or maybe with a bit of CG, CGI I don't know how much CGI and they're moving from room to room is the crane going over those rooms because it's incredible I don't know how they've done it it's absolutely it's it incredible is absolutely, isn't it yeah the technical accomplishment you really have to praise because yeah. there's so much effort being put into making this this movement of a soul or a spirit just feel like you would imagine it to feel. The thing about this film is, right, and I don't know what you're going to say about this film, whether you liked it or not, Paul. <laughs> I, I, really, I was conflicted. I really liked it. Because ah. he's totally committed to this idea. Why do you idea. like Nocturnal Animals, then? <laughs> <laughs> he is totally committed to this idea. From here on in now, again, it's all first person, but now we're a spirit. We never break this point of view. 
There were some things, uh, technical things I really loved. This, this technical accomplishment of this crane, this movement from room to room and in and out of bodies kind of stuff. And also the stream of consciousness at the beginning, just the way that people think in their own minds. Two real good things about this movie. Cleverly, he manages to work in some small reactions from his friends whilst we're in this first-person view and he's kind of hovering around town and deciding whether to die or not. Yeah. Well, it's the idea, isn't it, that people say oh when you die i'll be i'll be there i'll be watching you all the time in fact one of the characters says this at some point mm-hmm. don't they think think his sister what would you do if i died kind of thing and they say i'll always be there watching you or something similar it's a very common idea right using that trope that idea gasper the rest of the story exposition unfolds because his spirit is kind of eavesdropping or watching there's a voyeur on on life going on without him now the other thing is from here the sound is really muffled as we're watching stuff it's like you're not really there you know you're and there's a blur isn't there in some of the focus absolutely yeah the the, the, the images are blurred yeah it's it's so stylish like center field is in focus but then there's there's a blur to the uh backfield and then that what's that lens you used to get model shots like tilt shift yeah yeah there's some tilt shift particularly i think when there's an ambulance or a taxi no, when uh, later on, when Alex is, is fleeing in the taxi. Well, we see outside, don't we? Well. We see outside because the police have arrived. There's a sort of police cordon. Crowd is there. Alex is trying to find out what happened. He obviously heard the shot from inside. He realises he's going to be collared and he runs away, doesn't he? And we're seeing this all... leaves from- a short voice message, well, he can't get through, to Oscar's sister saying, hey, Linda, Oscar's been shot. Yeah. You need to do something about it. Because Linda is working. She's pole dancer isn't she she's a go-go dancer in a in a club turns out that mario is her manager yeah or pimp even perhaps now oscar has gone to that club and is now watching his sister on stage we follow her off stage where mario the club owner guy greets her and snogs her in the dressing room they start making out heavy petting don't they they do a bit more than that richard don't they yeah you got this weird thing (laughs) where we're her brother and we're watching her do this stuff now that might be weird, but then later on we go back in their life when she first arrives in Tokyo and she's nibbling his ear and sucking his ear. I mean, yeah, I mean, I might nibble my sibling's ear, but I don't think I'd suck it all the way down and gloop, gloop, <laughs> slip, slip on down on it. So. She loves being naked in front of him. Am I a big grown-up girl now? They have sure, I'd be, naked. Yeah. I'd be naked in front of my siblings, but I'm not sure I'd say that to them because it's almost like you're flirting with them, isn't it? Sure, they have a very incestuous relationship. I would say it's, it's, it's bordering on incestuous, isn't it? Bordering it's kind of, on, yeah. It's like it's gone beyond sharing bathrooms and peeing in front of each other to being beyond sensual, almost erotic with each other. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Now, you're quite right. Mario and Linda do fuck in that dressing room. Mario has quite a big dick. Gaspino is no, no stranger to showing these things, is he? No, he's not. No, no. Yeah, that's right. I think during this sequence, doesn't he go into Mario? We go through the back of Mario's head while he's fucking his sister. Mm-hmm. And we wind up being in Mario's eyes, don't we? Which, again, I'm not sure I want to see if, if I was dead. <laughs> I think I'd choose not to see. What's happening to my sister at that moment? Someone knocks on the door. Mario has to go attend to something at the club. Linda gets the voicemail and starts sobbing because she's heard Alex's hurried message to her. That- well, at least he knows she loved him. Although I think that was never in doubt, was it? Because as we later learn, whilst he's floating around, 
How how do we get the backstory? How does how does he how do we go back in time to see? It's the whole thing, isn't it? Of we we experience his life like, oh, like your whole reverse, like your whole life flashing before you kind of trope. But he I goes see. into he gets attracted by lights, doesn't he? Which kind of strobe and attract. Well, Alex him had in. told him about this, so 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 far Alex and Book of the Dead spot on. He goes into a red table reference in the dressing room of the strip club. And then we see an image of a young girl crying in front of a young boy. It's obviously his sister and him. We actually see him, don't we, as a boy. So he's imagining himself in the third person, as it were. And they seem to come from a stereotypically ideal and you'd say very happy middle class or upper middle class home. They seem to live somewhere East Coast, New York, I think, don't they? Obviously with educated parents and they're living the life of Riley, aren't they? So what's the major trauma in their life that sent them out to Tokyo? Well, we find out, don't we? Maybe not in this excerpt, but maybe later on. Well, we know we do. We, we find it early on. We get more detail later, but right now we see him and his sister in the back of a car. On a happy road trip, they're kind of dozing off or their feet are up on the leather. It's, it's they're in a tunnel. They're in a tunnel somewhere, and suddenly the truck headlights, their car head-on hits a truck, and their parents are dead, we learn. Horrifically. they got to witness all that, you know. We, we, we return to that several times, don't we? We do. And it gets more and more graphic each time. Until the last time, we just see them parents' mangled faces sort of staring at us in, in, in first person. The kids get split up and they're fostered separately. And then we kind of skip forward to when Oscar is in Tokyo, like the next big thing in his life when he's a young, a young guy who's moved to Tokyo. He's with Alex. Alex is at his own place where he... Ah, that's right, yeah. Alex has got a roommate who makes these amazing models, like a neon cityscape. It's kind of like a hyper-real version of Tokyo, isn't it? I think it was, it's, it, he's a Japanese head, isn't he? He's a, he's a Japanese druggie. And I think it's the difference between Easterners that take drugs is they just kind of chill out in their room and don't do anything apart from get really into something. And Alex is a painter of these really crazy psychedelic paintings, isn't he? So they're both artists. Oh, that, yeah. that's what he did. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So do we get another story about Oscar, Oscar Stone's drug dealing? Yeah. They're talking about how Oscar's going to make money. Alex says you can make a lot of money making dealing drugs, but it's really dangerous. Get in, get out kind of thing. Well, he must have made money because he has enough money to pay for Linda's flight. He does eventually make, make the money by dealing drugs. But he also meets Victor, this young kid, and his colourful parents. Wow. Now, this, I thought it was good. I don't think you see these kind of Westerners so much stranded in Japan, but you certainly see them in Thailand. Like the whole family, mum and dad have come out, they've had the baby out there, and they're living in somewhat impoverished, straightened circumstances. But they're stuck out there forever. I'm know? not sure what Victor's dad does, but his mum used to be a go-go dancer herself. Or... Yeah, so she's escaped alive. Maybe she met dad as he came out on business. But still, they're not living a good life, are they? That kitchen reminded me of my kitchen when I first moved out of Japan for the first two months before I decided to move somewhere nicer. It ain't nice where they're living, is it? But Victor's mum seems quite into Oscar. And at one point, oh, yeah. she's trying to offer him money to help him out. And also, by the way, fucking Favours. When Oscar is remembering or reminiscing about sex scenes, about, in this case, fucking Victor's mum, he often gets confused with his childhood of sucking his own mum's nipple, doesn't don't we? Yes. We get those now, the thing, I, the thing I didn't necessarily like about this was the relentless Freudianism <laughs> yeah. in this movie. Sure. It's laid on uh, a bit thick, uh, can't you? Yeah. I mean, there's also somebody else who mentions it. Oh, it's, you know what I like about 
women is it's just like sucking your mama's titty. Somebody else, another character mentions it too. So it's kind of laid on there with the trowel thick, isn't it? (laughs) In case we missed it. But then we get the scene that you were sort of alluding to. We also see him as a kid, like opening a hotel door and seeing his parents fucking, don't we? And we get lots of scenes with him in the bath with his sister as a child. As a child. But we also see him as a young guy in Tokyo. We see him in a nightclub getting off with this Japanese girl. She's really, really good looking, isn't she? She's telling him that she's never taken drugs. He's, like, encouraging her to try drugs with him. She's kind of corrupting so Is this after we've met Bruno or before we meet Bruno? I don't know the order, right? But it's not. we've not seen that in his memories yet. Right. He does coke with her in, in the club toilet, doesn't he? He is dealing in this club, so he's starting to sell coke to people in the club. And he's also dealing at his sister's go-go bar, is that right? His sister hasn't quite arrived yet. He's talking oh, about okay, talking sorry. to her on the phone about getting together the money, saying he has the money now and he's going to bring her over. Going to get. It's not much money. I mean, what year is it supposed to be set? It's a great question. Flip phone era, right? Five hundred pounds to get out to Tokyo, maybe a bit more. Thousand dollars. Flip phones in Tokyo. They lasted a bit longer, didn't they? They they were already smart before smartphones, weren't they? So they kept going, didn't they? I think. That's right, yeah, the curse of effective legacy architecture. <laughs> He's, for some reason, desperate to get some DMT. I don't, I don't know why. Well, it's a, it's a six-minute trip. I mean, that's to be advantageous, isn't it, compared to an acid 24 hours up, two fucking weeks down, do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I mean, there is that advantage to it. Alex tells him about his dealer guy, the guy he gets his stuff ah. from, called Bruno, and he says, he warns him, he says he's into boys. He's into boys? That's a bad thing, I don't know. But he's into boys and, and it's what follows that makes him bad, yeah. Which essentially date rapes them, doesn't he? That's the implication. We never actually see that, do we, in fact? We don't. Maybe Alex is just bad-mouthing him. He's a pretty scary guy, I would say, Bruno. Because, I mean, when you go around there, his mates are obviously wasted and beyond... Half-naked. Half-naked, beyond taking care of themselves. But maybe... Maybe they want to be like that. Or maybe they don't know anymore. But the point is, Alex said, this guy's become so rotten, he can't come anymore. So that instead of having sex, he gets these guys to suck his dick off. And whilst they're sucking the dick off, he sticks his finger up his own ass and wipes his shit in there. <laughs> he does <laughs> which so, I thought, yeah. Which I thought was you know, interesting thing to put in the movie. <laughs> anyway, Bruno's another Britisher, isn't he? So we've got Victor, the little British kid, who's... Yeah, crossed, yeah. Oscar. British British don't come across too well in this film. They really. don't come across. They come across as really scabrous pirate pirates, <laughs> don't they? Double double dealing, double crossing. Apparently, they say, don't they, that in this film they mention that DMT is the same chemical that's released in your brain when you die. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, but how do they know quite exactly? Yeah, but I've heard it said in the, in the circles where people sort of venerate these kind of things. Linda arrives. He's managed to get the ticket for her. She arrives. They do that. As you say, that strangely incestuous moment where they're very tender with each other. He was obviously taken around. It was the ear sucking. Like, yeah. By all means, just nibble your ear like you used to when you were a kid. But did you take his whole ear in your mouth and suck on it whilst you were a kid? I don't know. I mean, he's taking her to clubs, taking her to the roller coaster near the radio. She's tower quite childish, isn't she? He's giving her ease. He's giving her drugs, isn't isn't he? I presume it's he. But she's hot, and everybody's staring at her in the club. Mario meets her on the dance floor and gets He's off with taken her. taken with her, yeah. 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 Obviously, Alex is jealous. He woos her in a Japanese fashion. No expense spared. <laughs> we see, as well, images in flashback again of Victor now, trying to get Oscar to get drugs for him. He's giving him money for Oscar to give him drugs. I think because Victor wants to deal as well, probably. I think that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. But 
Oscar doesn't want to tell Victor who his dealer is. He doesn't want to give Bruno's name to anybody else, does he? Well, Bruno said, don't pass my name on. So there's all that. Now, when does Oscar get caught dealing in Mario's Gogoba? At some point, mm. yeah. Mario catches Oscar. He's backstage because Linda has got a job there after meeting Mario. He's back there talking with Linda. And he's also giving drugs out to some of the other dancers in the dressing room, right? That's when Mario gets pissed off with him and tells him he can't come in there Fair anymore. play, I would say. He winds up back at his apartment where he's got this cool Japanese record player on the wall, vertical. It's like space-saving yeah. for a Japanese apartment, isn't it? That is very space-saving, yeah. Yeah, very clever. Other space-saving things is the not the clothes hanger rail or the clothes closet. It's just like a rail that runs against one wall. It has kind of little hanger things that kind of are the flush the wall I kind of flip down so you can hang things on. Oh, right, yeah. That's yeah. clever. And the dinkiest little ovens you'd ever imagine. <laughs> like, so tiny. But you can do, you can fry, you can grill a whole fish in there if you want to. Now, Oscar is also getting his sister's G-string and he's sniffing it, isn't he? So he, he's yeah. obviously into his sister. It's not... Please. <laughs> so yeah, in case you missed any heavy sort of Freudian concrete, it's there being slapped on trowels. He he gets some DMT from Bruno, doesn't he? Bruno actually has some. He visits Victor and he tries to touch Victor's mum. Victor obviously clocks it. He's just coming into the room when he's touching his mum on the shoulder or something. He confronts Oscar about it. And Oscar somewhat stupidly admits that he has screwed his mum. <laughs> I mean, would you say there's anything more than circumstantial evidence there? No, I mean, plausible deniability, isn't there? So. This is an important moment because he's used Victor's money to buy a stash of drugs from Bruno, and he was about to hand them over to Victor. Right. But obviously he doesn't, because Victor's mad with him. And then later on, I guess that's partly why Victor shops him to the cops, right? He's pissed off with Oscar. Mm-hmm. So that must have been his motivation for doing that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to say, isn't there? I mean, there's so much more that... Co- I mean, it's a whole story. We just go further back and further back into... Oscar's life and also the lives of the people around him. We get a shot of him hovering over his sister and Mario back at Mario's pad. Well, we get, we get, don't we get a shot of, of him being sort of cremated or not cremated? We do. So this is really important. Yeah, we see, I think we see a shot of him being identified in the mortuary or morgue mm-hmm. or whatever you call it. It's actually a, a really crazy shot where I think we're supposed to be coming out through the bullet hole. It's like this reverse shot of coming yes. out as a spirit through all this fleshy tube. And again, all of these different time periods are spliced together by him being lost in lights, which means that we're lost in light. We'll be in like this crazy, strobing light experience for a few mi- minutes, and then we'll be into another one of these scenes. We see Linda sort of tidying up his affairs, don't we? And lamenting the fact that the police aren't being honest about how he got shot, because he obviously didn't have a gun. He was no threat. They just shot through a door and killed him, didn't they? We also see Victor being interviewed by the cops. And Alex has taken to living on the streets. He's trying to avoid being questioned by the cops. Somewhat unnecessarily, you might yeah, say. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I don't uh, know what his involvement was. But he's, well, uh, he's, is he drug-addled, essentially? Maybe he's not. He's paranoid. He's paranoid. Yeah. I mean, I think the Japanese police don't have a great reputation with foreign visitors, do they? No. So he may not be unjustifiably paranoid about it, but I don't think he's really deeply involved in any serious crime, is he? Let's face it. So it necessitates him meeting up with his old flatmate 
and with Linda for some money at some point under a bridge. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Because police are talking to everybody else, aren't they? They're talking to Mario and all of that stuff. And this is interesting. Linda peeing onto a pregnancy strip, right? Huh. And getting a friend to translate it because it's in Japanese. And her friend is obviously going to tell her that, yes, she she is indeed pregnant. And at this point, I was assuming, oh, well, we've been told by Alex that he's going to be reincarnated. So is he going to be reincarnated as Linda's child? Oh, God, how awful. <laughs> the light shudder. Oh, God, yeah. So then to confound my ideas about Oscar being reincarnated as his sister's child, we then have quite a graphic scene of Linda having an abortion. She's in a little mm-hmm. clinic. We yes. At the end of the abortion process, we see in a little one of those little stainless steel kidney-shaped dishes, we see a fetus, don't we, that's been aborted. And our mm-hmm. spirit is like hovering over it as if he'd wanted to be in it or something. Right. It's quite a confronting kind of experience, isn't it? I don't know about the times. Tell me about the bit where he dreams that he hasn't died. Okay, okay. This film is long, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Two and a half hours. It didn't feel that long. Yeah, 163 minutes, something like that. Wow. Okay. So June long. Okay. Get ready for that, everybody. Next week, I guess we might be watching June or not. Find out later. Because Alex is on the street and because, as you say, he's having to get his friends to help him get him money and stuff like that, Linda goes to him eventually, doesn't she, mm-hmm. with some money for Alex because she's heard from his house, his flatmate, that he, he needs his help, needs her help. Mm-hmm. When they meet, obviously Alex fancies Linda and Linda obviously seems to be regretting her life choices with Mario as well. They wind up going to a love hotel, don't they? They do. The same love hotel that's the model made by... Alex's uh, roommate. Oscar's roommate, way back at the beginning. No, it's Alex's roommate. Oh, it's Alex's roommate? Yeah. Oscar lives with his sister. Alex lives with the Japanese Oh, sorry, it's Alex's roommate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So about this time, Linda is saying to Mario something like, she feels Oscar is around them somehow. And Mm. Mario says, yeah, but dad is dead. And then we see an image in the morgue where we saw them identify a body earlier. Yeah. And for the first time in however long it's been since he got shot, an hour or something or more, we actually see the blink of the eyes as if we're in a real body. Suddenly the people in the, in the mortuary or the morgue... What's the difference between a morgue and a mortuary, Paul? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, place where they put dead bodies. Suddenly the people in there, including police and coroners or whatever they are, start surrounding him. They're all very surprised. And then they lead him outside to where Linda is. They're saying, please contact us if he gets his speech back, because we want to speak to him. So obviously whoever this person is can't speak. And they go into a car, don't they? You hear Linda saying that that thing is not my brother. She thinks it's disgusting. And when he tries, when when us, when we try to touch Linda, she screams and Mario punches you, punches us, as it were. We then see in the mirror, we're looking at ourselves and it's Oscar's face, apparently. We find ourselves walking down the storm drain where in spirit form we'd seen Alex sleeping and we find Alex down there. But what does Alex say to us? He says, he points out that they torched you. They burnt you. Think about it. So it's like this spirit is dreaming this. Yes, that's the impression I got, is that the spirit is dreaming that he's not dead, but actually he is dead. Yeah, and Alex is pointing out that the logic is wrong. 
And then once once he accepts Alex's logic, he disappears away from the dream and comes back. Yeah, to we're no spirit. longer we're no longer blinking again, and we're back into sort of the spirit realm. It was a very very weird experience. I thought it was mm. quite powerfully done because I'd forgotten as well that he'd been cremated <laughs> until Alex pointed it out. It, it worked very effectively on me. Now I think at that point we're focused now back on the urn, the urn that he was put into after the cremation. And it's in the room with Linda, and Mario is there. Now, I don't find it urn creepy, but Linda does, doesn't she? She does, and she picks it up. Uh, Scatters it in in holy land? No. (laughs) Consecrated land? Sacred land? No. Where did she put it? (laughs) She dumps it down the sink. That can't be good for your plumbing, can it? I mean, it's one thing to throw away cremated relative. It's another thing to then... (laughs) It's another thing to have to get drain on blocker. And pour it after them. Which is surely what she's asking for there. But she says, of that, she says, the remains are not my brother. Which is quite right, really, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. So now we kind of we kind of get to see uh, Victor's comeuppance, don't we, at this point? If you like. He, his mum chucks him out of the house, is that right? His dad punches him in the face, or slaps him in the face. I'm not quite sure why. He winds up at Linda's, doesn't he, trying to say sorry. Mm. Linda goes fucking crazy at him and tells him to go Linda kill him. Linda goes full method acting on this, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. And he tries to tell her that it was her fault because she was seeing all these sleazy people. Which is interesting. It's like Victor kind of, what, knew that Oscar really fancied Linda? Yeah. Strange. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a second, I think. Or at the end. We get these scenes, as you've mentioned, as the spirit moves from location to location. Generally, it sort of goes through the walls, doesn't it? Or rises above things. Yeah, impressively so, yeah. Amazing. But we also see these images of Tokyo in this amazing kind of neon light. And well, it is an amazing place. And they're, 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 I mean, they're partying in the, in the coolest part of Shinjuku, aren't they? They're partying sure. in Kabu, Kabuchiko, or whatever it's called. Kabu, but I mean, this is really Kabuchicho. what it looks like, is it? This is a sort of turned no. up, an exaggerated kind of... Yeah, all the way to 11, yeah. And it's absolutely amazing. The, the visuals here are, are astounding, aren't they? We're just looking sort of straight down on this amazing, like a model, but it's very realistic of, of Tokyo. For a moment, in fact, we wind up in a passenger plane, like as if the spirit has found itself Yeah, now this went all a bit trippy at this point, didn't it? This spirit is ready to fly, I think, isn't it? It's just this attention to detail. Mm. It it doesn't go anywhere, that. We we are briefly in a passenger plane. You know, we experience... Wait, his mum is breastfeeding him, is that right? That's right. And and, yeah, he has this memory, doesn't he, of his mum breastfeeding him. It's just so stream of consciousness. It's amazing, isn't it? But pretty soon we get to Alex's version of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which is a love motel where all his friends are making love together. When you say Alex's version of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, do you mean Oscar's version of the Tibetan Book of the Dead? But exactly. Well, it's what Alex told him on the, on the walk down to the nightclub, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Is- we, we, we see this love hotel, and basically all of the characters that we know from Oscar's past and present are in the love hotel in different rooms and their genitals are co-joined by a glowing of light aren't they yeah it's beautiful isn't it you should become a tibetan buddhist richard <laughs> i can see you taken with this as i say we see lots of the people that we know we see bruno lying next door to a couple don't we we see alex's roommate and linda's friend having sex we see victor s- sucking off two suited guys in the elevator he doesn't even get a room. So it appears well, something about Bruno is true, that he doesn't have sex with people. Because <laughs> his way of communion sits lying by them whilst they're zonked out or whatever. Or whilst they're having sex with a woman, it seemed. So all that goes on. We pop outside and see more beautiful neon Tokyo, and then we pop back 
to see. What's the final sex scene? It's, of course, his best friend Alex and his loved sister Linda. So they finally get it on together. Well done. And it's the most romantic of the scenes, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure about the final shot, but (laughs) yeah. He possesses Alex, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. So he sees Linda as Alex is seeing her. There's a brief moment where he looks to the left and he sees himself as a boy like he had seen his parents when he opened the hotel room door. He's seeing that from the other side now. Mm -hmm. So trippy. Alex reaches his climax. Well, we get a nice little sort of in... I don't know how you say this. Not in uterus. (laughs) In in, in urethra. In in vaginal passage view of this, don't we? Yeah. Uh, We become, become, in a strobing white light, we become... Alex is semen, don't we? <laughs> Paul is we holding, do, holding that, we, his well, head in his hands. <laughs> we, 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 we see his, his frenulum and his, his penis head repeatedly. We do from, see it, yeah, from the point of view of inside the vagina. Yeah. Inside a vagina, yeah. That was an interesting choice, along with the details of how an abortion takes place, I found. Then, obviously, Alex's semen sprays the camera, or the point of view camera, or the first person and we're pretty much towards the end of the movie now. What we find at the end of the movie, of course, is we have been reincarnated. We have been reborn, presumably as the child of Alex and Linda, the fruits of their coupling. We hear a rapid heartbeat, don't we? And a mother giving Except birth. have we. Okay. So, Casper Noah is very, very clear about this. This is not about reincarnation. Is he? I didn't know this. Yeah. This is about somebody taking too much DMT, and as they're shot... They trip out because they've just been talking about the Tibetan Book of the Dead. They're they imagining it all. Sure, yeah. And so you were saying, how does you were saying, how does somebody know about something in what was it? How does Victor know about? I don't know. You, you were saying at some point you were saying, how is that possible? Well, I think the answer is how is it, how is all how is all this possible? Is because it's all like what we're not witnessing as these people and their actions. It's how. Oscar imagines these people to be. So it's an unreliable narrator kind of thing because yes. it's a drug fueled it's the last firings of a brain that is dying. Mm-hmm. Sure. Gasper's also said that his central theme is the sentimentality of mammals and the shimmering vacuity, I guess that's the neon lights of the human experience. Paul, I get the feeling you're not quite as keen on this film as as maybe I am. What do you mean? My, my feeling at the end of this is that I, it feels like you have lived a lifetime. You have gone through that moment that people describe of their whole life flashing before okay. them. Having the director, I'm reading directly from some notes here, the director also leaves open the possibility that Oscar's life starts over again in an endless loop due to the perception, the brain's perception of time and the reality of time being different. But he's fairly clear that this is about the rabid drugged imaginings of somebody who's got shot dead by the police. And yeah, I can buy that. I can buy that. And there were moments I thought, well, how, does, how do they know that about that other person? Well, they wouldn't unless it was in Oscar's mind. It's imagined, so, isn't it? It could easily just be made up. And I think we're supposed to we're supposed to come to that conclusion when he wakes up, he hasn't died, and yeah. then suddenly he's dead again. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that's the only conclusion we can take from that small part of it. I think he's put that in there to in case people say, actually no, you're just riding on the back of, of religious beliefs. He's saying, No, actually, I'm not. He doesn't actually have an out of body experience as dictated by the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So, I mean, you say I didn't like it. No, I did like it, Richard. Oh, right. Okay, okay. I think the technical accomplishment of that first-person view, the cranes they must have used, it's just so swooshy. You could have told this story in a conventional way. It wouldn't have been particularly good, I don't think. You know, you could have hit the same kind of beats. 
you wouldn't have had the same artistic accomplishment, but you could tell roughly the same story, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's very much a similar. It's a very different take on the whole. I mean, this kind of stuff has been done before, hasn't it? Life, your life flashing before your eyes kind of thing. Uh, the fact that he doesn't do it in a linear fashion wafts through the air into various parts of his life experience and into different characters. That's a very clever thing where he could like go down into other people's bodies. Gives it a, a very different take and a non-cliche take on the whole thing. But I would say what he does in the way he films it is something like what happened to like athletics track coverage before that sort of rail camera that could run along with this, I don't know what happened about 20 years ago, where the camera was on rails and it could run alongside the sprinters. Or before drone footage where you know, the drones could like, go overhead, that kind of thing. Before that stuff came to athletics coverage, you had a very limited kind of experience. Yes, like a static uh, shot. Atmospheric side, experience yeah. Yeah. Of, of what it was, of the movement and the pace of it all. And so he does something very similar here, I think, to first person views. In The continuity is just, the way it just, moves on from scene to scene and the amount of planning that must have taken to just make it all thread into each other is 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 literally stunning so yeah a great technical accomplishment okay so mm-hmm. should we start those with, are the good things <laughs> should we start with the uh, plot then and storyline yeah this is a strong point definitely okay i would say that maybe he didn't quite need to have so many seedy shots of Tokyo. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was all a bit... Gosh. It was all a bit too much for the milieu of 20-somethings lost and stuck in another country whilst being cool kind of thing. I, I would have liked to have seen... I like the mother and father of Victor. Those were welcome other voices, I think, in the movie. I would have liked to have seen a bit more of that. We've never really hear his parents speaking, do we, in flashback? I mean, anything like that. So it's, I kind of felt it was, it was almost like how 20-somethings would imagine it rather than anybody else. But you're in so their world, aren't you? You know Exactly. But it would have been nice to introduce, through this spirit movement, other voices that were significantly different, I think, just for a break. It was like it was like being with male fashion models for an afternoon. Do you know what I mean? What, it was vapid and bit, self-absorbed. Not so much vapid, but kind of self-congratulatory and just a little bit self-absorbed. Do you know what I mean? So that, that's a small detractor. But generally, I thought the plot was exceptionally well-crafted. Uh, tied in very nicely. All the little twists and turns inside, whether it's, this is debatable, whether it's an out-of-body experience or whether it's imagined sort of drug dream, whatever. doesn't matter. It all tied together very well. So for plot, I'm going to definitely going to score it well. It's going to score eight, Richard. It is a very fair score. It, I mean, if you look at the reviews, this is a Marmite movie. People either love it or they hate it. Some people think it's pretentious, self-indulgent, overlong. Why would they think that, Richard? (laughs) (laughs) Go on. I I mean, I I think the criticism that it maybe overstays its welcome is maybe true, but... There's a lot to get in, though, isn't there? You know, he's trying to do something big. I don't think he can do it any less time. Uh, That's right. I I think you have to feel you've been on a journey with him. It could be a short film, couldn't it? And still express much the same idea, but you you wouldn't have had the experience. You just lived his whole life with him. Which you kind of I mean, do. It's, it's well liked. I mean, it's well liked. It gets decent reviews from from both reviewers and audiences. It's just at the, at the box office, it did incredibly badly, didn't it? Well, I imagine it had difficulty getting a showing anywhere because it has scenes of an abortion and scenes of a penis ejaculating into a yeah. vagina. <laughs> Graphic copulation. All lubed up and, you know, red... <laughs> Red inner walls and whatnot. Yeah, provocative, it's cool. I mean, so what, what do you score it in terms of plot, Richard? Uh, an eight also. I think that's a fair score. 
Okay. So here I get to the bit I don't quite like so much about the movie. That's the acting. Okay. And not just the acting, but what they're asked to act. Oh. Okay. I, I just had a feeling that not necessarily the treatment, but the whole idea was perhaps a little bit childish. But then again, I, it is a not a whole negative point. They are kids. drug addicts. Yeah. Drug, no, they're drug addicts and they're kiddie drug addicts. They're, inevitably, theirs is a candy-coloured world. This is the point about drug addicts, you know, they do such dangerous things, but for such childish experiences, you know. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know if that was authentic or not. I, I, I imagine these semi-narcissistic, self-involved, not entitled drifters, but drug drifters, I, I imagine their worldview is quite childish. So, so not necessarily a negative point, but in terms of the acting, I didn't really find... Because it's a long movie, and I thought the acting just kind of made something that was long but interesting, at times potentially tedious and lacking profundity. I don't think it's the actor's fault, but Linda, I think she's called Paz, the actress playing Linda. Mm. I mean, she was a bit kind of manic pixie dream girl. I'm not sure I totally believed her. That's probably Gasper writing a woman not particularly well. I don't know. So a little lack of emotional depth. Is that right? Yeah. It's kind of how I felt for all of them. Uh, a bit cookie cutter, like can I ask? Victor's a- like the stereotypical sort of British teenager, isn't he? You know, this is not really a criticism or even a comment about the acting. But can I ask about the choice of putting all of these Western actors in Tokyo? Is he just trying to have a kind of a bottled kind of social circle that you might get from expats and stuff? Well, that's what you get with expats, isn't yeah. it? You do get this very bottled, insular, almost kind of cultish. Thing. Yeah, it can become quite cultish at times. Yeah, but I mean, that's how life is an expat. You've got a very, very limited circle of friends. So unless you want to hang out with the, the German wives making dumplings every Wednesday kind of thing at the German embassy. I mean, it, there's real square kind of agglutinations of foreigners and there's like hip and young agglutinations. And it's clearly quite a limited set. So I, I thought the inevitability of sinking into desperation in a foreign country was quite well conveyed here. Obviously, it can be done more humorously. I think Hangover, the series Hangover is, is when they go to Thailand. <laughs> I think that kind of represents this inevitable slide into depravity that comes with being a Westerner and going with assumptions to other countries. But I don't know, what was your original question? <laughs> I was just asking about almost the ethics, really, of setting it in Tokyo with just a lot of white actors. Uh... These days, yes, but it was 15 years ago, wasn't it? So, I mean, there were some like Japanese people in there, were there? So, as one main character, Mario. So, I don't know. For acting, I'll give it a seven. I'm going to go 5.5. Oh, low. I think we have to talk about the imagery. Okay. It really does take such strong influence from Kubrick's ending of 2001, right? Can you delineate that a little bit more? You know the ending of 2001 where he experiences the psychedelic imagery as he's encountering the whatever intelligence that's... That's right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All of the side-scan photography that they sort of invented to do it. I mean, the imagery in this is amazing. From the Tokyo neon cityscapes to the the light shows and the... And from the get-go, from the intro itself, yeah. yeah. Which comes across as being really modern, actually. The intro and its graphics and its whole style doesn't seem out of date. No, it doesn't seem dated. It's visually stunning. It's a stunning film. Okay, so visuals, I'm going to go a whole 9.5 on it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm certainly going to go 9. It's a visual spectacle. And the whole thing, talk about an overall score. Vibe. You're talking about vibe here. The whole vibe, yeah. The vibe score. 
I'm talking about overall, but I think overall. overall it is a vibe. That's what a film is, isn't it? I'm looking at my scores. Okay. Toitering between seven and eight. Uh, I'm going to go eight, simply because I think it distinguishes itself by being so different to nearly everything that's out there. Yeah. However, it does have points where it lulls and becomes a little bit, not overlong, but it's a little bit slow going. It labours its point, it's true. Mm. You could have cut almost every scene, probably. By 20%, yeah. 20%, yeah. Just take out the pauses and the silence, the radio silence. Absolutely. So for that reason, you could cut it down to a manageable two hours, ten minutes easily, couldn't you? I still think it's a masterpiece in filmmaking that recognises its influences, but also does something quite incredible with it. Do I think it's as good as Climax, though? Do you think it's better or worse than Climax? It's different. It is different. Climax had me on the edge of my seat. I was rooting for people. This guy's already dead, so it's kind of like there's destiny involved, isn't there? Yeah. Whereas with Climax, we're rooting for people. The outcome is not set. So we're kind of we're engaged and we're buying into people's stories, aren't we? Here, it's fate. He's already dead. We're just kind of watching the process. So it's a different... It's like a, it's like a church service, isn't it? It's something you go through. But it's a different, whole different kind of vibe. So for me, in terms of enjoyable moves, I have to go with Climax, I think. Yeah. I would agree. I think Climax is a better film. But I think I will give this an 8. It's very, very strong. Just an 8? Oh, wow. Okay, I was expecting more from you, Richard. Well, it's an experience. Paul, next week, I think, we're going to be watching... We hope. We're praying. Dune 2. Dune 2, yes. Which has been... In, pre, in pre-release, people sort of semi-reviewed it at the, at the premise. They're saying big things about this thing, aren't they? I think it's supposedly good, yeah. Did you see mm. Zendaya's dress that she wore? The armor. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. She's got style, that girl. Now, Villeneuve has come out on my side, Richard. Oh. He says he wanted to make a movie that makes it clear that Herbert was against and not glorifying the kind of religious, polypotentiary kind of godhood that Paul becomes in this movie. I think he... Didn't he also say that he wanted to make a film that is all about redheads being the baddies I think he said that <laughs> but look potentially so, or ex-redheads grey redheads serious news though we do intend to watch Dune 2 I don't know whether we'll be able to record in time I don't know I haven't worked that here out. I am at the back of the movie theatre jotting down my notes for Dune 2 Recording time for next week, yeah. So if that's not the case, do we have a backup, Richard? My backup suggestion is something more cheerful than all of the films we've watched recently. Yes. By the way, anybody who's watching watching the films with us, if any reason you don't want to watch our depressing movies, then just don't watch them, okay? That's why the the podcast is here. So we're here. We'll watch them for you. Okay. My suggestion would be Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Marcel, the shell with shoes on. It sounds like a tongue twister, Richard. I don't it, know if it's a movie. It was much harder to say than it was to write down before I... Sounds almost as interesting as a talking mongoose. <laughs> Until the next time where we'll be reviewing one of those two movies. Who knows? Do join us for 31. Goodbye. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Bye. Thank you.